Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, good morning again. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is hour two. Hour one was definitely worth uh, worth your time. So go back and grab the podcast uh, a little later today at MyFaithRadio.com. I mean, I don't often like say that, right, in hour two. Like you should really go listen to hour one. But yeah, I think it was really good. All right, um, I have some updates on some headlines we have covered in the days past. The Vatican is defending the Pope's um, plan to visit the nation of Iraq. It is an act of love. We talked about that um, just yesterday with Luke Moon. The U.S. Forest Service has now temporarily halted the transfer of the Native American sacred site known as Oak Flat in Arizona. That is a story that we talked about, I feel like, last week. Um, And then we have um, bishops, Catholic bishops across the country, discouraging Roman Catholics from using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine if they are given a choice in which vaccine they will receive. Um, And that is related to the conversation we had yesterday um, with Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association and the reality that the J&J vaccine is a derivative vaccine. um, from research done on aborted fetus tissue, aborted fetal tissue. Okay, um, and then I wanted to bring you up to speed on woke capitalism's hot potato, Mr. Potato Head, but instead, Paul Perot is going to bring you one really essential head- headline out of the Twin Cities, and he is going to report on this because, frankly, I don't know how to pronounce all the words. <laughs> Well, you know, this is Minnesotan stuff here, but this is big because this year the (laughs) DOT, the Department of Transportation, allowed people to name eight snowplows in the state, one for each district that uh, the DOT has, and they announced the names yesterday, and of of course, Snowy McSnow, pardon me, Plowy McPlowface was... Plowy McPlowface is such a cute name. Do they get to like have on. their name painted on their side or it, something? Yes, they do. But it's so oh, derived oh from the Bodie like McBoatface it. thing over in England. Come on. <laughs> but don't worry. There's some good original Minnesota stuff here like uh, like Duck Duck Orange Truck. <laughs> Actually, i got to ask the question. Uh, when you play that game, you say Duck Duck. Goose. No. This is Minnesota up here. We say Gray Duck. We say Gray Duck up here, you know. <laughs> Um, let's see. Plow Bunyan, that's in there. We have the truck oh, formerly... Plow Bunyan is cute. That's, that's good. cute. That's good. There's also uh, the truck formerly known as Plow. <laughs> and the most Minnesotan of all there is, oh, just going to plow right past you. Okay, my submission, had I made one, would have been the plow who must not be named. Ooh, something like that. <laughs> now, there are some literary ones here, uh, or, okay, theatrical ones, because we have Darth Blader and <gasps> Snowy Wan Kenobi for the Star Wars films oh, out there. Oh, that's so cute. So there you go. There you oh, go. that's fantastic. All right. So there you go. I think we should have a parade of these snowplows once they have the names painted on them. No, some I, sort I of like springtime parade. 
Uh, by that time, it's they. Well, yeah, and then I they know, can go in the they, garage for a while. Can't they just drive around? I mean, you know, they they're can. just they're, they're well, trucks with wheels, right? I mean, yes. Not. And what actually they do? I mean, they're just regular, you know, trucks they use the rest of the year. <laughs> they just take the blade off. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um, this seems like really critical news, and okay. I am so glad we have yeah, covered yeah, it. Yeah, All right, John Brandon is up next. Columnist from Forbes. I feel like Forbes has probably not covered this essential naming of plows information, but they are covering other things. John's going to talk us, with us about reducing Zoom fatigue. I don't know about you, but um, I am fatigued by Zoom. John's going to talk with us about how to uh, overcome that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Let's uh, catch up with John Brandom. He is uh, Brandon. He is a columnist for Forbes. He's also the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me again. So, um, yeah, I was almost tempted to ask you a W two ten ninety nine question because you know <laughs> when people like wear multiple hats and have lots of jobs, right? But let's we won't go there. So um, let's talk about re- re- reducing Zoom. Fatigue. I have, let me count them, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 16 Zoom meetings this week. That feels like a lot. Wow. Um, is that a lot? I don't know, compared to other people who are like on eight hours a day. Um, talk with us about reducing our Zoom fatigue. Yeah, so uh, 15 meetings sounds about average. I'm not sure. I think that's about how many I have. So this article actually started when I was doing some mentoring with a student and talking to them by Zoom, of course. And one of the things I noticed is that uh, this particular student was really good at making eye contact. And I, I sort of got to the point where I'm like, mm. yeah, you're you're really good at this, but I'm actually going to just sort of take notes once in a while, and I don't want to stare at you like the whole time. And you start feeling a little fatigued because of that. Um, and then I actually, this, this never happens, by the way, so I had this idea of I wonder if that could be an article. And then I went and looked at the research, and I found out that Stanford actually has done some very recent research on this. Um, And one of the things they found, there's four different things that cause Zoom fatigue, and one of them is actually constant eye contact during these calls. And that was pretty surprising to me because it matched up so well with that. Um, It was kind of like a mock interview I was doing with a student. Um, The other three are basically not getting up and moving around enough. Um, One of them is pretty well known, having your own thumbnail staring back at you all the time. I'm not actually sure why that causes fatigue, but, you know, it's kind of like if you were to look in the mirror all day uh, staring at yourself, that would maybe cause some fatigue. Um, So that was one of them. Um, The thing with Zoom fatigue, I think, is that uh, it's just, it's just, uh, oh, the fourth one was the, it just causes kind of like brain overload. Like you're constantly talking, you're constantly going back and forth. It's just one of those things where we're not used to it. And yet we do it all the time now. And I think after a year, I'm still not used to it. I don't know about you, Carmen, but it just feels like, oh, no, another Zoom call or another Microsoft Teams call. (laughs) Right. Because it's not just Zoom, right? It's there are like that's part of my challenge also. It's like, okay, I'm meeting with this person on Skype. I'm meeting with this person on Zoom. I'm meeting with this person on Teams. 
Um, do I have the right program up at the right time? Is it synced with the right calendar? Um, it, did they send me that link on my phone? Part of the stress for me is that the information related to the meetings, it might be in 50 different places. Right. And and, yeah. Yeah. Right. Just managing all of the, I hope this is going to be in your book. How do I better manage all of the various inputs or platforms upon which people want to communicate? Because yeah. that's a stressor in my life. There's a there's a few things going on here. And the one that I really wanted to talk to you about is that I think we're actually too hard on ourselves. Um, you know, this has been a very troubling time over the last year and and we all need to kind of give ourselves some grace uh so during that uh mock interview with that student i started taking notes and jotting them down and i picked up a pen and kind of looked at it and read it read it um i think it said northwest university of northwestern i'm not sure but uh it was just one of those things where i felt like i could just take a little bit of a pause and just sort of say, you know what, I don't need to be 100% all in, staring, hyper-focusing on this interview. And it's just a mock interview, you know, just trying to help the student learn how to do this type of thing. Um, this is something my wife has been saying to me a, a few times here and there. Uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I've started a new job. I'm learning a lot of tools and apps and that type of thing. Um, I'm also doing a, a Forbes column. And also, by the way, I'm, I'm writing a book and promoting it and all that other type of stuff. Uh, somehow we need to learn to show each other and ourselves some grace during this time. Um, the thing about hyper-focus is that it actually can work for a while. Uh, even just writing the book, you know, I kind of hyper-focused on writing a chapter. But if you keep that up over time and you keep hyper-focusing and writing one chapter after another guess what happens? You know, we get really worn out and tired. And then we don't actually do, uh, we don't produce the work at the same level at that point. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, John, um, can you talk with us a little bit about benevolent detachment? Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us uh, what it is? That would yeah. be so great. All right, that's up next. Uh, John Brandon is here. He's a Forbes columnist, columnist. He's also an author, and he's the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with John Brandon. We're talking about um, how fatigued we all are uh, by all kinds of video chat apps, and yet we continue to turn to them. Um, we are now using one in a community group that I am in, and we have had a number of new members join the group just in the last few weeks, and I'm, I'm wondering how actually enfolded into the community group they feel, but they are new to, like, actually new to our city and new to our church and and now in our community group. And so even even the way that we enfold people into something um, has radically changed. Like, I, I want to meet these people in person, face-to-face. -face. John, talk with us about um, this, this concept, um, or maybe it's more than a concept, of benevolent detachment. Right. And just to give credit uh, where it's due, it's uh, John Eldridge is a uh, very well-known Christian uh, book author, one of my all-time favorites, actually. He had a book that came out pretty recently that called Get Your Life Back. And uh, I, I aspire to be anywhere near his level of insight, just a really smart guy. 
I think he's written about 20 books, something like that. But benevolent attachment is something he writes about in his most recent book. And I mention it in my book and I quote him. So the idea is that this idea, like, so when we hyper-focus on things, we think that we are doing someone a great service by doing that, right? And then we do that with everyone. We do it with the UPS driver. We do it with the producer in the studio. We do it with everyone we know. And then that leads to, you know, kind of extreme exhaustion for people and a lot of stress. And so benevolent attachment is just a way to say, um, you know, it's like the Boundaries book came out a few years ago and people were really into that. I'm actually not as into that. I'm not sure where Jesus had boundaries with people and where he didn't. But we're also not Jesus. And so I, I think um, one of the things that's really helpful is just to say, I don't need to be 100% on hyper-focused on everything that I'm doing and with every person at all times, because I just don't think that's possible. You know, we're, we're still human. Um, there's a verse that I read this week that's just really awesome, and it's, uh, I don't know, Carmen, how you feel about the message. I know some people are like, Oh, that's not a real translation, but I just like well, I this. love Eugene Peterson, so just yeah. go, just march right into that territory. <laughs> that's totally fine. Yeah, so First Peter 5, 7 says, live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. And I just love that because it just feels like the, the stress just kind of falls off when I read that verse. And, and you just sort of accept the fact that you're a failed human, uh, that we're forgiven in Christ. Um, I was thinking also about... Uh, you know, the man born blind uh, in John 10 would, would kind of talk about, I don't know what it is that you guys are talking about, you Pharisees. I don't know about all these different regulations or whatever it is. I, I just know that I was blind and now I see. And I think what that means for a Christian living in the age of Zoom and technology and all these apps is we can actually just show ourselves some grace. Uh, you know, we don't need to act like we're blind anymore. We can act like we're forgiven and free. Okay, read the verse again, the carefree, careful verse. Yeah, so First Peter 5, 7, live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Hmm. Um, there's another verse that I found, and this actually comes from us, the new single by Toby Mac. Uh, so kind of a little shout out to him here. His latest single, it references Isaiah 52, 10. God has rolled up his sleeves all the nations can see his holy muscled arm. Everyone from one end of the earth to the other sees him at work doing his salvation work. And what I love about that is, again, you know, next time you're on a Zoom call, think about how God has rolled up his sleeves and he's at work. And we don't actually need to perform <clears throat> at 100% all the time. Uh, we We are failed human beings. And if you're feeling kind of stressed out this week and you've got 15 Zoom calls, um, live carefree before God. Just kind of release it and say, you know what? God has this. He He knows all about Zoom. He knows all about uh, the pandemic and everything else. So just, just live carefree. You know, John, I think part of what um, we deal with is some, so some sort of like weird shame um, that we're multitasking. But if we were actually sitting there in the presence of one another in a meeting, we would be multitasking. The task would just be related to the meeting that we're in. We'd be reading notes. We'd be taking notes. We might be looking out the window. We'd be making, I mean, you know, I, I just, there are things that we would do if we were in one another's physical presence that we mm -hmm. ought to feel free to do when we're in a meeting together. But somehow we feel like 
people are going to think I'm not actually paying attention. And that's not the case. I'm actually paying better attention by not just like dead on looking at you, looking at me the whole time. I like your I like your approach to this. Like, I am not Tom Cruise. People I I don't. (laughs) People cannot just stare at me for hours on end, right. nor should they, nor do I want them to. You know, Weird. You, you just touched on something that comes out of Stanford, too. Maybe we can talk about this next time. But sensory dynamism is a concept that I'd love to talk to you about. It means that we like to see different levels of, uh, you know, our field of view needs to change. Our eyes are created to see multiple levels of uh, our view. So mm-hmm. you look out the window, you see something up close. That actually helps our brains. It helps our health, our mental health. And so then when we're staring at a screen all the time, we don't have those different levels going on. And that's what actually causes a lot of the fatigue. So I, um, I used to spend a lot of time, like, you know, uh, standing up in front of groups of people talking and teaching. And now I do almost all of my talking and teaching in a room completely all by myself, not looking at anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having uh, my um, what is my point in that we are <laughs> able to adapt in terms of um, in terms of the delivery of content, we are able to adapt. I do find it has been more difficult to adapt as a participant uh, sitting on the other side in terms of my receptivity to uh, to information in these, you know, in this sort of new video platform world. Right. So the question is, yeah, we can adapt. What are we adapting to? Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie WALL-E, but sometimes I Mm -hmm. wonder if we're, some of us are adapting to that person in a chair who just stares at a screen all day. I don't know if you remember that scene late in the movie. Um, That's the same thing with productivity, by the way. Uh, You know, you have to ask yourself, uh, when I'm working hard, am I working on the right things toward the right purpose? And a lot of us actually aren't. If we're doing, let's say, 25 Zoom calls in a week or 30 or even more, you really have to question, you know, why is that causing so much stress? Maybe you're working toward the wrong thing. You're adapting toward the wrong thing. Um, And that's where you get into the danger of technology because it's so alluring to us and we get so hooked on it, but then we're just kind of stuck there. There's also the the issue of follow-up. There's no way I can actually do the all of the right kind of follow-up that is necessary to do if I'm having that many Zoom calls. I just can't. I can't right. I can't do all of the necessary follow-up. And then I feel really guilty because the next week rolls around and I'm like, I didn't do the three things that I told those people I was going to do. Or yeah. even the one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my uh, my under deliver rate has risen significantly. So I am really looking forward to the conversations that you and I um, are going to be having about productivity. You are going to be offering me a seven minute productivity solution. <laughs> that's that's a really <laughs> that's good a segue because you, you just revealed the title of the book for the first time ever, which is awesome. Uh, I'm really glad that you were the one to do that. So, yeah, the, the book I'm writing that comes out in January is called The 7-Minute Productivity Solution. That is the official name, and we we just decided on that in the last week. Um, Hey, by the way, one of the things in the book is called The Daily Debrief, and it's a 7-minute debrief, and that can really help people. Um, You know, if they write into the station, they can get a hold of me, and I can give them more details about this, but it takes 7 minutes to kind of debrief your day and see, okay, did I work on the right things? Or were they the things that were actually kind of leading to the wrong goals? Um, And I'd love to explain that more to people.
Let's um let's just do that the next time you're on. Let's just go ahead and tee that conversation up for our for our next time, and then um, we can put it as a post on on the website, and then it'll be super easy for people to follow up on. How awesome. about that? Yeah, that's All right, perfect. Fantastic. All right, that's John Brandon. Thank you as always for joining us. He's a Forbes columnist. He's an author. He's the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. We love chatting with him. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. All right, we have talked with Don Everts before. We have talked about the spiritually vibrant home. We've talked about the hopeful neighborhood. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about the hopeful neighborhood because there's now a field guide. Um, And so we're going to talk about pursuing the common good right where you live. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. To abide in the love of Christ is to make his love your home. You rest in him. His fireplace warms you from the winters of life. You abandon the old house of false love and move into his home of real love. Now adapting to this new home takes time. You've lived a life in a house of imperfect love. You think God is going to abandon you as your father did or judge you as false religion did or curse you as your friend did. He won't. But it takes time to be convinced. For that reason, abide in Him. Hang on to Christ in the same way a branch clutches the vine. According to Jesus, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15 and verse 4. This is Max Locato. on from time to time who um, I think to myself, I'd really like to live in a neighborhood with them. Don Everts is one of those people. He is an author. He has joined us on prior occasions. One of um, my favorite Don Everts books is The Reluctant Witness. Um, He has also written a book called The Spiritually Vibrant Home that we have featured here. Um, We have already talked about the Hopeful Neighborhood, but today we are also talking about the Hopeful Neighborhood Field Guide, which includes six sessions on pursuing the common good right where you live. Don Everts, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, you're so nice. I'll live in a neighborhood with you. Sounds great. Right? Right. So let me just tell you that after our, our last conversation, I mapped my neighborhood. I made a little drawing. I recognized how many people, I didn't even know their names. I could describe the car they drive because I'm like the end of the driveway waver. Like, right, I wave as, you know, right. Um, But I, I, my map of my, at least my street, my map of my street is, um, which is called Street Road, is coming together. That's so fun. You'll appreciate, I know. and, and, And that's a fun first step, right? I mean, it just gets you thinking in different ways. Totally, totally. And I have actually now met some of them. Uh, I have written down their names. Um, We have had uh, at least part of our street get together for a conversation about the needs of one particular neighbor, like, right, and not Mm -hmm. in a gossipy way, Mm -hmm. but like, hey, we know there's some challenges there. Um, Who's doing what and how could we do better and do more? Talk with us about um, this project, The Hopeful Neighborhood. There's some research behind it. Um, Our friend David Kenneman wrote the foreword. um, So we just, just, just jump in. 
You know, the big idea, Carmen, is that for a people whose king says, uh, love your neighbor, uh, we should know our neighbors <laughs> and we should be thoughtful about our neighborhoods. So that's the big idea is what does it look like for Christians to kind of re uh, get to know and re-embrace the people in place right around them. That's the big picture. Yeah, we did research on this, which was fascinating and sobering, finding out uh, both how Christians think about their neighborhoods, how Christians relate with their neighborhoods, and also how people in the general population perceive churches and Christians. So that there was some sobering news there, right? So our, our institutions uh, don't have a lot of trust among non-Christians uh, these days, but neighbors do. So there, there, there's something fascinating, right, in our postmodern moment where um, obviously we want our churches and our Christian organizations and institutions to have more social coin again. That would be great. But in the meantime, uh, the good news is that our non-Christian neighbors are very open to relationships with Christians, you know, with people, like people knowing each other, especially uh, like you said, when when it's neighbors, you and a small group of your neighbors got together to make a difference in the neighborhood, right? To help one of your neighbors. That activity, um, people are crazy about that. People, it, it makes sense, bone deep to people, that you would get together to make a difference in the place that you live. And so what a window, what an opportunity for Christians to engage in that space with some renewed energy. So we have um, we have maybe the old like generationally the oldest people who live on our street, um, mm. and uh, we have a relationship with them that I call the brownie friendship. So my husband trims their <laughs> trees for them, and she yes. makes us brownies, right? And she makes yes. what my kids call crack brownies because like there's no brownie better than the Nisi brownie. <laughs> so um, they have a really long steep driveway, and we recently had a snowstorm. Um, nobody where uh, I live yes. has any like way yes. to deal with that. So on our way to the grocery store, because we could get out, um, yep. I said, oh, we need to call them. So I, we called them and, oh, no, we don't need anything. Thank you so much. So kind for, of you to call. And at the end of the call, I just spontaneously <laughs> said, well, we love you. And uh, I realized that that like grew out of, I mean, this grew out of this place where I've been praying by name for yeah. the people on my street yeah. and their needs yeah. and, and my cons my spiritual concern for them. Um, and um, she was clearly taken aback and blessed and choked up mm. and and was like, you love us? Mm. And I'm like, yeah, we we love you. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. there was this, I feel like that's like a damn break, right? Right. You've gotten to the place yes. where you've 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 said something, you said it spontaneously, you said it out of a true um heart place, yeah. and it yeah. surprised the other person with its yeah. in its genuineness because you'd built the bridge to that point. That's right. And and I mean, you mentioned The Reluctant Witness earlier, that book, which is about how do we engage in spiritual conversations with people? And one of our big findings is there's a lot of distrust between non-Christians and Christians, right? You have to gain a hearing before you have a hearing. <laughs> That's what you did. You you gained a hearing. And it's what what, what I find fascinating, because we've launched this whole nationwide uh, project. It, it it launched officially Monday. So we're, we're there. Uh but but what's interesting in a day when divisiveness in the public square is 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 kind of that's what everyone is hearing, the stories that are now pouring in that are just like the story you shared of Christians who say Man, I want to I want to reengage with my neighborhood, 
people are actually really open to that. People are very open to um, someone thinking about them, someone helping them, someone, like you said, like having genuine relationship. That's the juice right there. That's the juice, Carmen. Like, like hearing these stories that we're hearing of Christians, and it's not even doing anything fancy, right? It's it's a, 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 a saying. <laughs> Thank God. Hi. Thank yeah. God, it's not uh, fancy. No, exactly, it's, right? It's saying hi. I, I I had some people uh, contact me this week. Uh, uh, someone up in the Twin Cities who was who was um, shoveling the sidewalk in front of their house. And then they, they got to the end and they thought, well, why don't they, you know, they're home and they were thinking about them and they have a single mom. I'm going to, I'm going to shovel their walk as well. And then, and then they got to the next boundary and they thought, well, why wouldn't I, you know, and, and they wound up shoveling all these, uh, uh, houses, which got them in conversations with all of those people. There's nothing fancy about that, but it's so Jesus-y, right? Mm -hmm. It's sacrificial, it's loving, it's practical. And in our day and age, that's, I mean, that's the hope for us to be able to engage and share the gospel with people is kind of leading with this kind of openness. And, and it creates what we're studying right now. We're doing a new research project and, and we're, we're scratching around the issue of social cohesion, which is like the theory behind what makes someone feel like their neighborhood is theirs. Uh, and there are a lot of people in our country who don't feel social cohesion. They don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like they have a place. Boy, that is sobering, Carmen, that there's all these people who, it doesn't matter how nice their yard looks, they may feel totally isolated in the neighborhood. And things like you you just mentioned, so it's, it's shoveling, it's saying hi, it's, it's trading chores, et cetera, can actually make a dent in this like epidemic of loneliness uh, that psychologists are pointing to in our country. So I've been blown away, Carmen, by how a simple thing like just re-embracing the people around us, right where we live, even in a simple way, um, it scratches so many itches. All right. We have an ongoing Kindness Always initiative at MyFaithRadio.com if you want some very simple ideas. But let me also direct you now, since I have just become aware that it has launched, the yeah. Hopeful Neighborhood Project, which you can find at Hopeful neighborhood.org, hopefulneighborhood.org. And for those of you who are already excited and ready to be fully equipped, we are not just giving away the field guide today. We're giving away a combo pack. Our friends mm. at InterVarsity Press, um, are we're going to give away combo packs. So you're going to get the Hopeful Neighborhood, the actual book, and you are going to get the Hopeful Neighborhood field guide um, which includes these six sessions on pursuing the common good right where you are. So if you want to enter the drawing for the combo pack of these two books that we're giving away today, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, you're going to text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you're ready to get an answer to the question, hey, I recognize that I am... Uh, a person who belongs to a God who tells me to love my neighbor. Um, I need some help doing that. This is the book combo day for you. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. Don Everts and I will be right back. All right. I'm talking with 
Don Everts. We are talking about the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, which you can check out, hopefulneighborhood.org. We're talking about the book, and today we're talking about the field guide, The Hopeful Neighborhood. Um, Don, I'd love it if you would um, unpack a little bit for us. Let's do this. Um, Mm -hmm. Chapter three, I totally love. Talk uh, talk briefly about love everyone always, the power of grace in tough seasons. What, what was fascinating when, so we're doing research, but we're also looking back in history. How has the church done this in the past, et cetera? And one of the fascinating things that, that we have found is that in times of persecution, so, you know, we're going back to the early church. Uh, you, you can look at Peter's letter. You can even go back in the Old Testament, look at during the time of exile. When Christians are taking it on the chin, when they respond in love, one of the fascinating things that happens uh, is, and even to their enemies, right? That's the point here. <laughs> when, when, when Christians are loving their enemies, when they're loving people who aren't loving them, really powerful things can happen. And it's, it's this fascinating, uh, it, it's fascinating how, um, how, what it does when people see love when they don't expect it. And it, and it makes them curious and it makes them wonder what is going on. Uh, and, and so there's this call uh, throughout the scriptures, obviously, to love everyone. And we, we think about that, right? That that's, of course, love, love people. But what about loving people who aren't nice to you? What about loving people who aren't nice to you when you're taking it on the chin and things aren't going great uh, in your life? And, and one of the things that we have found is in history, that opens doors, uh, in, in powerful ways. And this, this is why uh, Peter, who is writing to early Christians who are in exile, or, you know, who, who are taking it on the chin, uh, he, he, he says, you know, don't, don't fight back with, you know, with evil. Don't fight evil with evil. Fight it with good. Uh, be ready to do good. And then he says in the same, you know, pursue shalom. And, and then he says in the same letter, he says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is inside of you when people ask. So there's something absolutely disarming about loving everyone always, not just loving our friends, not just loving people when times are going good. You know, so I think about this moment that we're in in our culture, uh, and obviously the culture wars can, can make Christians feel, you know, feel back on our heels and feel like we're being attacked. And, and perhaps a lot of those feelings are, are, are appropriate. But what do we do with those feelings? And do, do, we, do, we, do we circle the wagons? Do we close ourselves off? Or do we choose the Jesus way, <laughs> which is to, to live this upside down, grace-filled, inexplicable life where we are nice and kind uh, to everyone? Uh, that gets the attention of people. That's what history tells us. Uh, and, and, and that's what we are finding as well as we launched the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, that in a day and age when people are used to Christians kind of with squinched up faces and being angry and punching, what do you do with a Christian who calls and says, we love you? What do you do with that? And the reality is that lowers barriers, that lowers boundaries, that builds trust, uh, and that gains a hearing so that people can hear the good news that we have. So that's kind of hard to hear sometimes. Um, 
and, and so I think that's that's the reason why God has again and again had to remind us, no, I'm serious, like love everyone, even your enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so in the um, Hopeful Neighborhood Project, you guys are going yes. to um, encounter, um, talking here uh, to those who are listening, you're going to encounter six sessions. One, yeah. pursue the common good, the shared work of all humans, uh, and then use every gift, the process of blessing your neighborhood, Love everyone always, the power of grace in tough seasons that we just discussed. Um, And then I love this one, give God glory, the joy of promoting God's brand. And then there is join the revolution, the hope of uniting around the common good. Um, But the conclusion is really powerful. And I think maybe the good is a good walk off invitation. Tell us about this little patch of ground. Yeah. Wendell Berry used that language. He's a Christian essayist and farmer. And he, he talked about, think about the little patch of ground where you live. We, we don't have to think about saving the whole world right now, Carmen, just, just for this morning, just the little patch where God has put us. And to think that maybe he's put us there on purpose and that part of our calling in life is how am I going to interact with the little patch of ground right around me? That's doable. That's approachable. Uh, now, for some of us, we're going to have to start with, as you mentioned earlier, getting to know that little patch of ground. You know, a lot of us are living lives, kind of a commuter kind of life where we don't know the little patch of ground where God has placed us. And so how do we, how do we get to know it? You know, we, we developed this whole uh, neighborhood bingo game that, that each square is a little thing you can do to get to know your neighborhood, little creative ideas. And you can, with your small group, for example, say, let's play this and see who, see who gets bingo first, right? Do little things to, to get to know the little patch of ground right where I live. Uh, and and from there, the, the possibilities go on and on. But, but, but I guess I would just say that there, like doors open, windows open. When we draw a little circle around our neighborhood and we say, God, I'm going to take seriously my call to just this little patch of ground right here. How would you use me in, in beautiful, limited, uh, simple ways right here? We have been blown away by what God can do when Christians take that small step. All right, you can take a small step today, and you can become a person who does this intentionally over time. So not just random acts of kindness, but actually the cultivation of a way of life um, that produces the common good in your own community. I mean, wouldn't that be great? If you don't like a harvest of unrighteousness that you see around you, what does it look like to actually Hmm. cultivate the common ground where you live um, and make your neighborhood a hopeful neighborhood. The Hopeful Neighborhood Book and Field Guide is a combo pack we're giving away today. If you're interested in entering that drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Also encouraging you to check out and join the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, which you can find at hopefulneighborhood.org. Don Everts, as always, thank you so much. Hey, it's great to stop in like a little Fred Rogers show. I know. I love it. Drop into this little neighborhood anytime. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. All right. We are the people of a God who calls us to love him first and foremost with all that we have and all that we are and all that we do. And then in turn to manifest that love of God in love of neighbor. So we invite you into this uh, really fun, hopeful neighborhood project. 
Also invite you to check out our Kindness Always initiative. You can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. And, uh, and I want to invite you to, um, while you're there, prepare your faith story. Everybody has a story. Um, maybe we would be better at sharing our story if we were actually prepared to do so. So you can prepare and craft your testimony today at MyFaithRadio.com. That might better equip you for Winsome Wednesday. Might also better equip you to tell others, um, give the reason for the joy, for the hope that is in you. Right? That's what we're supposed to be prepared to do. All right. I've loved our time together today. Again, you can enter the drawing for the book combo we're giving away today by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.